friends, and welcome to the Secret Podcast at Service of Change, where we challenge reality, question that which we've been taught in hopes of inspiring a new direction of thought to bring about change. I'm your host, Dennis Nappy II, with Service of Change, where you can read my book, I Am Human and We Are Not Who We Think We Are, for free at serviceofchange.com slash I Am Human. I am very, very excited about tonight's show. I have uh, my friend and fellow author Ray Davis of Anunnaki Awakening. He's going to be coming on to talk about this discovery of a 10th planet. Uh, We're going to get into how it ties into some of his research and his writings, talking about Planet X, Planet Nibiru, the Anunnaki. This is really going to be an exciting interview with Ray. I'm happy to have him back on the air. He's been a previous guest of mine, and and, uh, you know I speak to him regularly online. There's a lot of good stuff going on with uh, the work that he's doing and the uh, just helping to spread the word and making these conversations more commonplace. So I, I admire him for everything he's doing, and I'm honored to be bringing him on the show tonight. So I'm just going to jump right into this because I'm excited to talk to Ray, and I'm going to go right ahead and bring him on the show now. Ray, are you with me? I am, Dennis. How are you? Fine. How are you, my friend? Doing well. Good to be with you again. It's really good to uh, have you back on the air and uh, have this discussion going. I'm excited to be talking about the 10th planet tonight, but before we get into that, uh, why don't you bring our, our listeners up to, up to speed on uh, what's going on in your world with your writing and everything? Well, um, we have just passed the year mark on the release of Anunnaki Awakening Revelation, the first book in the trilogy. And uh, we've seen, you know, moderate success. We're getting good word of mouth and good reviews. And so uh, I'm currently in the process of working on book two, which is titled Anunnaki Awakening Revolution. And uh, I think this book is really going to stretch me as a writer. And I think the people who have enjoyed the first book or felt like it was kind of a wild ride um, will find the second book uh even more intriguing, I believe. So hoping to have that out by the end of this year. I'm excited about it, Ray. And, you know, I'll definitely be watching that very closely. And, uh, you know, our listeners can look to uh, the Service of Change pages because we're going to be promoting that as well as Ray makes his uh, progress in that book. And I got to say, um, you know, the, the first book, as it's it's as if every chapter I read it, I got more drawn into that book. And by the end, by the, like the last 10 chapters, I just couldn't put the book down because I, it was I was so excited about where it was going. And then when we got to the end of the book, I was I was mad at you, Ray, because you left me hanging, which is a, a thing a great author does, especially when you're writing a trilogy. You know, mm-hmm. So I, I definitely recommend the book uh, to anybody that and as I said in the review that I wrote for you, you know, whether you are really interested in the myth behind the Anunnaki, 
Um, you know, it, even though it's a fictional book, it's obvious Ray has done his homework on, on this stuff. So I learned a lot about these myths um, just by reading your book. I had a lot more clarity coming through it because you make it fun. You make it, you make it a story that's easier to follow because we become invested in these characters. So I, I just want to give you that comment. That was, that was an awesome uh, way to present that information to people. So Thank you. Well, we're trying to draw on a wider audience, you know, not just people who are naturally interested in this topic. So Right. Which I think is so important, Ray, you know, getting this, getting people talking about this type of stuff on a more common ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're worried so, on that. So where can, uh, where can people find your book? Um, well, there's a number of different places, of course, Amazon, but um, if they want to get a signed copy of the book that I will personally sign and ship out to them, they can go to aatrilogy.com. AATrilogy.com. And I'll tell you what, I'll make sure I have that link in the show notes at servicetochange.com too. So if you're, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, throughout many of the variety of, of mediums that we have here on uh, SoundCloud, on YouTube, on iTunes, you know, within the show notes, it'll have the link to raise, uh, raise books there so you can find out where to get it. So let's, uh, let's move on, Ray. Let's talk about this discovery of a 10th planet. You hit me up on Facebook. You tagged me in a coast to coast thread. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I was really excited when I read that. It's just an exciting week for, for stuff, I think, in our, in our realm. Um, so why don't you bring us up to speed and tell us, you know, what is this discovery? Let, let's start there. Okay. Well, so what's happened is, is that we have um, some astronomers out at Caltech who have um, identified what they believe to be an anomaly in the outer solar system. And basically what they're seeing is there are objects out beyond Pluto and what, what is called the Kuiper Belt. And they're seeing an alignment in some of the orbits of those objects that really um, statistically is just way out of whack. And so they have theorized that there must be a large body. Um, right now they're estimating that it would be somewhere between um, five and ten Earth masses, so something on the order of about half to two-thirds the size of Neptune, or mass of Neptune, um, pulling these objects through the outer solar system. And although they have not observed it yet, um, the, math, the math tells them that this thing should be um, have an orbit of around 10 to 20,000 years in a highly elliptical type of uh, shape. So that's kind of what they know so far. Not a lot. They haven't observed it. Um, there's still a lot of debate within the scientific community whether or not this will pan out. Um, as we all know, we've had um, instances before where astronomers felt like they had identified these objects. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of debate about that, whether or not they did and it was covered up or, um, you know, or just didn't pan out. So we're waiting to see. But Mike Brown, who's the leader of this team, is the gentleman who got Pluto devoted. So he's a very well-known astronomer, very well thought of. So it'll be interesting to see um, what, what unfolds here um, as they try to um, figure out where this planet might be and observe it. Now, this this came out uh, – you said this has come out before. Was that back in the 80s? Was that when they said Planet X discovered? Is that the article that you're talking about? Well, there have been several different instances. So the, the uh -huh. situation back in the 80s was with the IRAS, um, which was an infrared um, satellite they put up in Earth orbit. And that was the big, um, in 83 and 84, in that time frame, there were several articles uh, in New York Times, Washington Post, uh, Newsweek, talking about this massive object, um, maybe four times the size of Jupiter, that they had seen in the infrared. Um, this kind of went away for a number of years after that little blow up in the media. Right. And a gentleman named Robert Harrington um, was one of the directors of astronomy at the uh, U.S. Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C., who'd been on that IRAS team, took an interest in Planet X, 
and eventually developed a theory of his own about where that planet was. And that led to a very famous interview with Zachariah Sitchin because um, what Harrington had come up with was um, a planet in an orbit and a similar size to what Sitchin had come up with based on his uh, translations of the ancient Sumerian texts. Huh. Okay. So that, and that's kind of the history behind the, uh, I guess now what people are calling the conspiracy uh, of this planet out there. That's right. Well, because what, ha what happened with Harrington is about six months after he announced that he suddenly died of some, a very rare, very fast moving cancer at the age of 50, 50 years old, basically. So wow. um, there's some conspiracy around that. The topic went away again for a while. In fact, about six weeks before he died, um, there was another astronomer, a mathematical astronomer who had been on the Voyager team that had passed um, Neptune in 2000, or I'm sorry, in 1989, and came out and said, that, you know, what they had, all, what had, had always driven this idea that there was another planet out there was these perturbations in the um, orbits of Uranus and Neptune. And um, they came out, and this guy named E. Miles Standish, an interesting name, was a, is a mathematical astronomer um, uh -huh. who came up with this idea that Neptune's mass was um, more than enough to account for the um, mass they thought they were missing in the outer solar system and thereby discounted Harrington's work. And then we kind of leap forward about six years after that and we have 1999, we have um, John Matisse and Daniel Whitmire at the University of Louisiana Lafayette who came up with this idea of um, Tyche um, which was another planet that they hypothesized. It was based on comets, um, the, the path that comets tend to follow when they come into the inner solar system. They noticed that they were kind of, kind of coming in on a common path. Mm -hmm. And they, again, hypothesized there might be an object, a larger object out there causing this. Um, and their work had to wait until the WISE telescope was um, set up in 2009. And now they have since backed off of their claim a little bit. So we had gone through this period where um, there's been, you know, claims and then counterclaims, and a lot of scientists don't really want to believe this. They don't really want to change the standard paradigm of the solar system. So there's a lot of debate even mm -hmm. within the scientific community whether people should be wasting their time on this. I don't see how it's a. I, I'm, I'm not going to get too too far off topic here, but I don't see how it's a waste of time to be curious and want to explore and see is there something more out there. I, I feel like a lot of times people put the blinders on because. Well, I'm safe and I'm comfortable because what I know, I know, and I don't have to worry about anything else. Maybe that's, maybe that's what it is. But it's frustrating, as, as I'm sure you're aware. It is, and you know that's where the conspiracy theories come in, right? Because mm -hmm. these very smart people seem to want to turn a blind eye to these sort, this sort, sort of evidence that keeps popping up. You know, all right. these different, um, you know, smart people have um, done, you know, experiments and found these things, and then it suddenly goes away, and so people kind of have this tendency to think that um, maybe they're just covering it up. Right. Right, and and it's and as we said, it's frustrating as the consumer of information, especially now because, you know, and I, I've mentioned this on the show a few times, is that I feel the waters have become so muddied by everybody because everybody's trying to find answers, but at the same time, uh, you know, in, in this new digital age, everybody's trying to get clicks and likes and follows and shares. So a lot of times, people are just throwing stuff up there and repeating. You know, when you find out the source is really not credible, but they're sharing a source that was shared by a source, shared by a source. And everybody's really sharing the same thing that really has no basis in fact, and it's tough to get to that original source. So, exactly. uh, and, and that's very that's very difficult now. So I always encourage people: do your own research, do your due diligence. You know, on my show, I always provide the links of the stuff that I talk about, so you can take it a step further. You know, um, and I think that's what every good researcher does. I'm not claiming to be right; I am claiming to be looking for the truth, and that's why I'm bringing Ray on because he's got a lot of background 
a lot of understanding of this stuff and, and the myths behind it. And Ray, something that's been, you know, really in my mind about this stuff, um, about this, this finding, and maybe you can clarify it for me, because I, I've heard, I think it was Robert Morningsky that talked about, uh, and even Michael Tessarian, I think, talked about the planet Tiamat. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with Tiamat? I am. It, now that they said was an Earth-like planet, a water-based planet, and some people say that that planet was hit by a moving body, this planet X, this Nibiru. Some people say it was hit by a weapon, but basically the, what I've heard is that planet was destroyed. Am I roughly in the ballpark there? Well, the theory, I think, mainly behind that is, is that, that part of that planet um, became the asteroid belt, and the other part became what we now know as the Earth. That's um, that's exactly where I was going with it, yes. And there's references in the book of Genesis where it talks about separating the water below from the water above, and uh -huh. on those verses a lot of times to talk about the fact that the you know the water wound up with the Earth, and then the, we have the asteroid belt that's obviously dry rocks now. But the, yeah, that was caused by a collision with Tiamat, um, Tiamat and Nibiru, which also is something that Sitchin pulled into his work, that, that he believed that it happened and believed also that, you know, that, that, uh, that this might explain some of the other objects that have been ejected from the solar system that you'll hear scientists talking about now, and also things like, um, you know, moons, um, like um, Triton around Neptune being turned on its side, and even Uranus being turned on its side, that maybe these bodies coming through the solar system have upset the balance of those things in the past and that's why we were seeing those uh so tiamat that you know and that's where i was going was tiamat part of it becoming the asteroid belt yes now this gravitational field i guess that they're protect uh projecting or identifying with this 10th planet that's a different field they're they're finding or is that still leave possibility that hey tiamat may have still existed and been destroyed well, I, it's it's hard to know. I mean, because they haven't really defined where this planet is or uh -huh. or what its characteristics are. I mean, they, they, what they're claiming right now, and I did a lot of uh, reading on this this week in preparation for this, is that they don't think this thing ever comes any closer to the sun than ten thousand. I'm, I'm sorry, than about uh, uh, seven hundred AU's, which is you know something like uh, half a trillion miles or something like that. I mean, it's way way out there. Pretty far. So they don't think that it ever comes in the inner solar system. But I guess my question would be, since you can't even tell me where it is yet and you haven't observed it, how can you possibly know? That? Yeah, how can you know where it, where it's yeah. going to end up? Um, you know, Graham Hancock, you know, I'm reading his book, Magicians of the Gods, right now. And you and I were talking about, you know, his writing a little bit before uh, we, we went live on the air. And, and what I love about Graham, I love it and hate it, is that he spends the beginning of his books going very uh, – through these very fine details of stuff that it would bore somebody if they were doing the research on their own, but he has such a gift with language and with writing that he makes it entertaining, but it's a lot of data that he's talking about of stuff that's not all that exciting. And, you know, but he makes his case so well. And I don't mean that as an insult to his work. He's such a talented writer and I'm glad that he does it that way. But he's going through in this book talking about evidence of a, an ancient, asteroid or meteor impact about 12,800 years ago that he's claiming wiped out an advanced civilization on earth mm -hmm. is it possible that this planet or this massive body is dragging these comets through and then slingshotting them around every however 12,000 years and shooting them right towards our towards earth i mean would that fit that possibility absolutely i mean i think what they're saying is is that this object is upsetting the apple cart in the outer solar system and that 
they're seeing objects that are that seem to be orbiting it somehow, but it also that sort of gravity out there on working on those smaller objects could definitely hurl things towards the inner solar system. And that's, you know, what Matisse and Whitmire were talking about back in 99. I mean, with, with Tyche is that they were seeing a pattern and, and this has never been disputed, even though the body has never been found, um, that, that they were seeing a pattern of comets being sucked into the inner solar system kind of along a path that indicated that something out there is perturbing them and throwing things in our direction. Wow. Now, you know, and, and again, when I look at uh, when I look at like Graham's work and some of the even when I was H and Aliens was big and I was watching it, you see these they uncover um, these massive underground caverns where whereas I think there's one out in Turkey where they have this underground structure carved into the stone with massive stone doors that roll into place and vent shafts and it's like why were these people going underground? I mean, you listen to, I think, the Hopi creation myth. They talk about how, you know, during the creation of this world, they came out from underground after the destruction of the last world because they were living with the ant people. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like this happens, and I don't like to spread fear, but maybe this is something we should consider and should take a stronger look at. I mean, is this why the government's building these, you know, these deep underground military bases? Uh, I think that's one proposed reason. Yeah. Yeah, you, you see that a lot. Well, you know, and, and, and they're not allowed to talk about this. Um, mm -hmm. There's a very famous incident. You can even go look at, up this on YouTube um, that happened way back in 1986 during the uh, uh, Iran-Contra hearings with Oliver North. And something came up about a secret government and plans to build underground, um, you know, bases and things like that. And Daniel Onoye from Hawaii, who was the I believe he's the, either the ranking member or the chairman of that committee at that time said, we cannot talk about that in open hearing. We would have to have a closed hearing if we're going to discuss that. And this is clear back in the 80s. So, you know, there have been a lot of researchers talking about the seed bank up in the Arctic that mm -hmm. they put together and now these right. ground things. And people, you know, asking a legitimate question, why? You know, what, what would be the need for something that extensive? Right. And well, publicly they're denying, yeah, hey, there's nothing to worry about. Keep watching your reality TV. But at the same time, they're making all these preparations out there. And that's what's frustrating is because I feel like I, they're not putting enough faith in, in mankind really to handle that type of information. They're afraid everybody's going to panic. But I think if you present that appropriately and we, I mean, it's going to require a major restructuring of our society and our way of life. Mm -hmm. That doesn't have to be a bad thing. And it doesn't have to be a sense of panic. It can be more like, Hey, start preparing. This stuff happens. We have a plan for it. And here's how we deal with it. And here's our warning system. And here's what you do. But I don't see that happening, and that's what that's what's frustrating to me, Ray. Well, you know, other governments are a little bit more open about this. You know, the Russians are openly talking about. We have another object, you know, the one that's supposed to come in twenty twenty nine that they say is just a comet uh -huh. that is going to pass. They believe closer than the moon to the Earth, and that's the best case scenario. There's like a one in I don't know how many chance that it actually might strike the Earth, and you know, the Russians have have openly talked about this and talked about sending something up to try to divert it, and. You know, you'll hear it talked about a little bit in scientific circles here in the U.S., but you don't hear our, our leaders talking about things like that typically. Yeah, it really, it really makes me wonder why. I mean, I have my own theories, and again, that's a whole that's a whole different show. But tonight we're trying to talk about uh, this 10th planet. So uh, I'm watching the clock here, and we're definitely going to have to split this up into two shows if you're okay with that, Ray. I am perfectly fine with that. Well, let's, uh, let's continue on this one a little bit, and why don't you just give us – uh, a brief intro. Why don't we do this? Why don't you give us a brief intro or a teaser on the myth of the 10th planet as it relates to some of the work and the research you're doing for your books? And then for part two that we'll, we'll pick up next week, 
uh, we can get more into, I guess, Planet X and Nibiru and, and the myths behind that and, and how it may be relevant today. Okay. Well, of course, you know, a lot of um, the things that I'm working on are based on the writings of Zachariah Sitchin. I mean, I am not a linguist. Um, he studied the cuneiform tablets for many, many years and um, interpreted these things. So we kind of are going on his interpretations a little bit. But um, basically what he talked about with Nibiru is it's a planet that has a 3,600-year orbit that has an elliptical orbit, meaning it doesn't follow the same plane that the other planets follow around the sun. It actually goes kind of perpendicular to them. And when it gets to the right part of its orbit, it actually comes down through the inner solar system across the planes of, you know, planets like Mars and which is how it might've hit Tiamat, you know, back a long time ago. Uh Um, And it it actually crosses the path of our planets. Now, apparently about every other time, it doesn't really impact earth because earth may be on the other side of the sun from it, but on the times when it passes and, Earth is on the same side of this as the sun of the sun. Um, it causes chaos. Now it's never hit the earth, but what it does is it's a large body and it pulls other smaller bodies, like an army of asteroids and maybe even small moonlets and things like that along with it. And that stuff passes close enough to the earth. And then the earth gets bombarded with these, um, you know, with these, with these huge stones, basically, you know, meteorites, comets, that sort of thing. And you have myths all over the world where this has happened. And there are, you know, names and a lot of these myths, like they call it the destroyer and things like that. They talk uh-huh. about this body that had wings and that kind of thing. And, and a lot of people theorize that that may be related to the fact that you have this large middle body, you know, which would be Nibiru and you have these. Other- so this is roughly, it comes close to the earth causing trouble. That'd be every like 7,200 years in, because if every 3,600 years it's orbiting, passing our planet, Every other year, would be about seventy-two hundred years in that we're having issues from it. Is that right? That's right, and I don't think that's. Um, I don't think anyone's saying that that's a a for sure, but that's on average. I think about once. What I what you hear a lot is that about once every two times around, we are, you know, kind of in its range. Um, now, what's interesting about that is the last time that it came through, they think, according to Sitchin, he believed that it was around, um, you know, the time period around sixteen hundred BC when we had a lot of chaos happening and in Mesopotamia at that time, that sort of thing. And, and eventually that civilization collapsed and you have the, um, the repercussions for that among them was, you know, Abram and the Bible being pulled out of that by God, supposedly. And, you know, given, given his, uh, his mission to go find, uh, the new Holy land. But, um, but yeah, so the, um, so the, so according to Sitchin, at least the last time it came through, it did cause some chaos. And so there's the potential that maybe, um, this time it would not. Now, of course, by his calculation, we're approaching a time where 3,600 years, it should be coming around again. Others like Lloyd Pye and other researchers, uh, who have kind of looked more into this again, are not as convinced that we're in that time frame. that maybe this is something that would be, um, that maybe, um, would be coming maybe in the next 500 to a thousand years and not right now. Okay, so they're looking at a much larger orbit then. Well, they're not disagreeing with the orbit. They're just they're disagreeing with Sitchin that the, that the 1600 BC was the actual last time that it came through. That probably it came through since then another time. Um, now, although I, you know, to be honest, I've never heard anyone say when they think that was. But I, I have heard people talk about the fact that um, some people. That's why a lot of people are tying this to 2012 because that kind of fit in with the within the Sitchin time frame, which was about mm-hmm. you know 3600 years from the previous one that he had identified as a passage. Um, now we have other people. Um, there's a gentleman named Gil Broussard who has 
is talking about something called planet 7x that he says is Nibiru or all these other names that we give to this planet. And it, he's done some research that indicates that maybe this isn't a 3600 year orbit, but a 360 year orbit, which would make a body that's much closer into the solar system would come through much more often. And mm -hmm. he's done a lot of research tying this to different events in history and in the Bible and things like that. Um, and his, his research is actually kind of interesting. At first, I wasn't really sure about it. The more I have uh, studied what he's saying, I mean, there's a lot of truth in that. And we have to remember that what Sitchin was working with was, you know, fragmented, very old, that kind of thing. It's possible that he could have gotten something wrong as far as what the, uh, what the orbit of this thing is. And that's not really important. I think the important thing is, is there a body there and does it come through and cause chaos for us sometimes? Right. And, and, you know, Ray, I've been looking uh, a lot lately and I'm by no means an expert on this subject, but um, just in basic astronomy and astro is it astronomy, astrology, astrology and the zodiac and the uh, the importance that the ancients placed on our placement in the stars and how, you know, the precession of the equinox, how every 72 years we move one degree uh, through our current house and how uh, a lot of history kind of ties into the, the procession of the equinox and where the earth is in relationship to the zodiac, the wheel, you know, that wheel that's up there. So maybe some of these cycles that we're seeing, and the more I read, the more I'm, I'm starting to believe that, hey, yes, some of these placements, uh, you know, within each house, I think do, do have a real impact on, uh, on our planet, on our consciousness and, and on our behavior. You know, so whether it's planet X that's coming through and maybe that's in conjunction with this stuff that's going on, I think it's a high possibility. And I think that, Sometimes maybe the, the data is getting crossed, you know, because in, in our line of thinking, or not ours, but in Western line of thinking, I would say we want it to be black or white. But sometimes it's black, white, blue, red, green, yellow, and we forget to look at the other stuff. There's other stuff going on. My wife pointed that out to me uh, the other day. We were having a debate about something. She says it's not just one or the other. It could be multiple things. Mm -hmm. Very well so, could be. You know, I think, that, I, think, I think our situation on this planet as human beings and also uh, – you know the history of the Earth itself is is way more complex than we than we think it is, um, and I think we have been given simple answers in a lot of cases, and and so I think you know um, there could be a number of different things that have come through and caused these catastrophes. I mean maybe it's not always Nibiru, you know. I mean there could be other things that happen in our solar system that um, that we can't explain. And you touched on a topic that is one of the most interesting topics to me to to research and study and just listen to people talk about as far as uh, you know our, our ancient past and how there may be more to it than we realize so i want to talk about that but we are out of time for tonight's show so let's tune back next week i'm going to i'm going to get you back on the air we're going to talk about this uh next week and talk maybe a little bit more about uh some of the myths and some of the theories about maybe some influence in the human past and some of the things that aren't really in the mainstream it's a fascinating ride through history i know ray has a lot of uh information on that subject ray if you're willing uh, we can get into that for next week's show absolutely anytime my friend all right excellent so ray why don't you just uh, one more time give out your website and how people can get in touch with you um you can get in touch with me at um through my website at aatrilogy.com. Um, I also have a Facebook page, uh, Anunnaki Awakening. It's Facebook backslash Anunnaki Awakening. Or you're always free to email me at um, solarflare, S-O-U-L-E-R-F-L-A-R-E at gmail.com. Fantastic. And that will also be linked in the show notes to this uh, to this podcast once everything's uploaded and running. So, all right, Ray, thank you so much, my friend. And we will be back 
next week talking about more about Ray Davis's work, the 10th planet, Planet X, Nibiru, and the Anunnaki and their influence in uh, human development. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for the feedbacks and the, uh, the emails that I've been getting from, from my listeners, my readers out there. Again, check out serviceofchange.com slash I am human. You can start reading I am human for free. Sign up for the secret newsletter. You get a lot of exclusive content from me, if my thoughts and feedbacks uh, you know, on the podcast and everything I'm talking about. It's a great way to, to correspond. We also have a discussion group that's on the Goodreads page now. You can find that. Just go to servicechange.com. Dot com. Click on forum and you can go join a discussion, talk about the show, talk about some other threads that we have there. Authors, there's a spot for you to put your books there and uh, for everybody to just kind of interact and uh, talk about what's going on because the goal is to make these conversations more common so we can better understand what's going on in this world around us and get to the truth. I have gone way over, but it was well worth it. Check back next week. Check your newsletters for our follow-up interview with Ray when we talk about the Anunnaki. I'm Dennis Nappy II with Service of Change. This has been The Secret Podcast, where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning and keep an open mind. Thank you. Seekers.